Hello, and welcome to Eyes on Success, a weekly program covering a wide variety of topics of interest to people with vision loss. I'm Nancy Goodman Torpy. And I'm Pete Torpy. The MacArthur Award is about creativity. Everybody that receives the award is sort of noted for their creativity and for their productivity and for their likelihood to be creative and productive in the future. So the way I read it is that this is a public and very prominent acknowledgement of the fact that accessibility is about taking risks and finding creative and challenging ways to make the world more accessible. And and this is a real acknowledgement of the value of that kind of creative input to the accessibility process. And in today's episode, we'll be talking about the very special MacArthur Award and speaking with one of the recipients of the award this year who happens to be blind. We'll speak with Josh Mealy, blind since childhood and one of the 2021 MacArthur Fellows, about how his work in the field of accessibility led him to receiving this special award. Before we get into the rest of the show, we would also like to announce that we are very excited to be beginning our 12th year of hosting and producing Eyes on Success. This is the first episode of year 12 for us. And we thank all the listeners who have been supporting us and following us through the years. We hope you've been enjoying the show and... We also enjoy when you send in comments, suggestions, or ideas for new episodes and keep them coming. You can send those to hosts at eyesonsuccess.net. And for the many people who have asked and for those who are curious and haven't asked, Last week's episode, number 2153, answered your question of how do we create an episode of Eyes on Success, and we spent the entire episode talking about everything from selecting a topic to maintaining the web presence and how we do every step in between. So if you're curious, listen to last week's show for that. Getting back to this week's topic, let's go to the tip of the week. Well, Josh Mealy had a couple of good tips for us. Here's the first one. There's lots of accessibility work going on at Amazon. Some of it I'm involved with, some of it I'm not involved with, but I'm proud of all of it. And one of the things that has come out recently that um, folks may not know about is that if you read your Kindle book, first of all, you can read your Kindle book using Alexa. Most people do know that. But there's a new feature which gives her the ability to add inflection to quotations. So when you're reading something, when you're reading like a novel and there are quotations, it doesn't just read straight through with the same voice. She adds emotional inflection to the quotes using uh, machine learning based on the information, uh, you know, contained in the text. So if, for example, it says, you know, she said angrily after a quotation, Alexa reads the quotation with an angry voice, which is really cool and is quite surprisingly significant in the improvement of the reading experience when you're listening to a text-to-speech book. I really recommend people check that out. That is something. 
It's amazing all the new features they keep coming up with. And on a separate theme, but also related to these smart speakers that you can talk to. You know, it really is amazing to be able to use your voice to do so many different things. I mean, voice shopping is a great example of uh, something that that everybody wants to be able to do, but is particularly exciting for uh, blind or visually impaired people or for people with physical disabilities who can't, you know, have more difficulty making it to the store and traveling around in it. Um, the ability to, you know, just use your voice to shop or read or, um, you know, make calendar appointments um, is really powerful, especially for folks who are just sort of getting started in their blindness journey, because sure, you can use your smartphone to do so many of these things like shopping or reading books or whatever, but the learning curve on using an iPhone with voiceover is pretty steep, whereas the learning curve on using Alexa is pretty gentle. So I think of Alexa as having the potential to be a really great onboarding tool for blindness tech and access to information because you know if you're while you're getting started in your blindness journey you can listen to podcasts you can read books you can you know do all of your shopping and you can access information that allows you to build your skills in other areas such as learning how to use a smartphone you know it's just it makes it really easy yeah yeah and just so our listeners know, you can also listen to Eyes on Success by saying, Alexa, play the Eyes on Success podcast. Try it out sometime. Support for Eyes on Success is provided by the Intracortical Visual Prosthesis Project, as described in episode 2151. Interested volunteer participants can learn more at www.chicagolighthouse.org slash ICVP or contact them at ICVP at IIT.edu. You are listening to Eyes on Success. Success, 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 success. Let's start by meeting Josh and learning about some of the exciting access technologies he's worked on. Today's guest has been with us on the show several times before, but he has some special announcement to make today, plus some new position. So maybe you can start by introducing yourself, Josh. Hey, uh, it's Josh Mealy, and I, um, for the last three years, have been a principal accessibility researcher at Amazon, and um, I work in the devices group, and that basically means that I'm working on the accessibility of things like, you know, the Amazon uh, Fire tablets, uh, TVs, the uh, devices that I'm not going to name that, um, that are the voice assistant for Amazon, because um, I've got like eight of them in this room, and I didn't turn them off. I do a lot of work related to, uh, you know, the screen readers. Uh, the, there's the, the Amazon screen readers called Voice View. Uh, but a lot of the work that I do is really just kind of installing accessibility at Amazon, uh, helping Amazon to expand and grow its accessibility culture and think about accessibility from the beginning of everything they do. And prior to that, you had a lot of experience working on access tech and related research at Smith Kettlewell. Yeah, for about 20 years, I was 
uh, at the Smith Kettlewell Eye Research Institute in San Francisco, where I was a, a postdoc researcher and then a, a junior scientist and then a scientist and a principal investigator and uh, associate director of the, the RERC there. So I, I sort of came, went up through the ranks at Smith Kettlewell and developed a lot of cool technologies there that were, you know, that some of your listeners may have heard of, including TMAP, which is the Tactile Maps Automated Production uh, System that produces street maps of anywhere you want in a well-structured tactile format. So TMAP is one of the things I produce at Smith Kettlewell. And then uh, you describe is another thing that your listeners may have heard of. You describe is a, a website, youdescribe.org, that allows anybody anywhere to add audio description to any YouTube video and share that description with the world so that, you know, even if a YouTube video does not come with audio description, anybody can add it and everybody can listen to it. So there's a website, there's an iOS app, there's an Android app. There are a number of other projects I did at Smith Kettlewell, um, lots of STEM accessibility work, uh, the Blind Arduino project, which encourages and supports blind people in working with electronics. And you are the ideal person to be working on some of these projects because not only do you have a broad background in accessibility and technology, but you've been blind since you were a youth. Yeah, um, I'm blind. Um, I guess I should have said that. I'm, I figured maybe many of your listeners knew that. Uh, I'm blind. I've been blind since I was a little kid. And um, I went through, you know, uh, elementary and uh, all of my schooling up through my PhD as a blind person and have been working as a blind person my entire life. Everything that I do is as a blind person. And in fact, uh, I often, um, you know, tell people when I tell people uh, what I do, I often say that I'm a blind scientist or a blind father or a blind husband or whatever it is. And I put blindness first um, in a lot of those uh, contexts because it really is first. I'm proud of being blind and being good at being blind. And I'm uh, proud of the community that I'm part of. And I, you know, I don't want to background it. And that is a great attitude to have. Josh mentioned some work he had done on the Arduino project. And one of the shows that we did with Josh also included Ken Perry from the APH, and we talked with the two of them about building electronics projects using Arduino. And that was such a great episode that we repeated it a couple of years after its initial airing as episode 1803. Support for Eyes on Success is made possible in part by our corporate partners. Find out more about partnership opportunities by sending an email to hosts at eyesonsuccess.net. This week's focus topic is the MacArthur Fellowship Josh was just awarded, some of the work he did that was recognized, and some thoughts he has about what he might do next with the flexibility provided by receiving this fellowship. Anyway, Josh... Today, we wanted to speak to you mostly about an award that you just received, and perhaps you can share that with our listeners, because this is quite an award. What was it? I've been selected to be a member of the 2021 uh, Class of MacArthur Fellows. You know, about 25 people a year get this award. It's an incredible honor to have received it. 
This is the award that the general public refers to as the Genius Award. Yeah, so I guess, um, you know, in 1981, when the award was started, when the MacArthur Fellowship began, you know, one of the folks in the press called it a Genius Award, basically looking at the folks that had received it and saying, man, these, these folks are really wicked smart. So, um, so they called it a Genius Award. And it kind of stuck. And I, I think that the MacArthur Foundation themselves don't call it that, but they they certainly, I, I think they don't mind that it's called that. But I, I think that they, um, they let other people call it that rather than calling it that themselves. And can you describe what you got this award for? You know, I, I can't actually describe it because I don't entirely know. The way it works is um, I didn't apply for it. I didn't know that I was nominated for it. And that's the way it works. Nobody who receives the award knows that they've been nominated and nobody, you know, you don't put in an application. And so when they told me, when they called me to let me know that I was going to be receiving it, they read me a uh, a bio that they had written. But the things that they listed were things like you describe and TMAP and uh, some other projects, including the Wear Braille and my work in STEM, and also some of my work uh, at Amazon, including my work on show and tell and my support of, of Braille on Fire tablets. And so I can only assume, since they mentioned those things, that those are the things they know about and the things that they appreciated about my work. But really, what I what I think um, the MacArthur Award is about creativity. Everybody that receives the award is uh, is sort of noted for their creativity and for their productivity and for their likelihood to be creative and productive in the future. So the way I read it is that this is a public and very prominent acknowledgement of the fact that accessibility is about taking risks and finding creative and challenging ways to make the world more accessible. And, and the, this is a real acknowledgement of the value of that kind of creative input to the accessibility process. You focused on your contributions to the field of accessibility as the reason you in particular received this award. But just to be clear for our listeners, the MacArthur Award is not limited to contributions in the field of accessibility. This branches over many other fields and almost any endeavor of life. Yeah. There are a few other people who have gotten the MacArthur Fellowship who have uh, been in the accessibility field, maybe three or four, but um, the vast majority, there have been about a thousand MacArthur Fellows and the majority of them are artists and scientists and uh, creative people, activists working on um, human rights and um, many other areas, but creative people doing good in the world and making positive changes. You know, Lin-Manuel Miranda, for example, was a uh, MacArthur Fellow, I believe, in 2015. So, you know, people like that, playwrights, um, filmmakers, scientists, etc. So I feel like this is not just me being recognized. This is our field being recognized as being valuable and making an important contribution to the improvement of society. Josh, are you the first blind recipient of the MacArthur Fellowship? Definitely not. 
there have been uh, two prior recipients who were blind. Um, I believe maybe even more, but I haven't I haven't gone through each one, and I don't know. There are many many names on the list that I haven't heard of, right? So there there may be more that I'm not aware of. But um, Ved Meta was uh, was a fellow in 1982, I believe. Um, Ved Meta being a very uh, famous literary figure who is also blind. And then uh, I believe uh, Girat Vermeer was a fellow in maybe 95 or 96. And he is a blind scientist at UC Davis who studies like the paleontology of mollusks or shells. I'm sure there's a there's probably a proper name for that discipline that I'm not pulling up at the moment, but, um, but he's, he's also blind. Um, so I am the third blind uh, recipient that I know of, and there may be more that hadn't even been mentioned that they're blind. In addition to being quite an acknowledgement of yourself and a tremendous pat on the back, I understand the MacArthur Award also comes with a substantial amount of uh, cash to enable you to pursue some other activities that you might not have been able to pursue were it not for the monetary part of the award. Can you talk a little bit about that and what your plans might be for that? Sure. The fellowship comes with $625,000 over a five-year period. So I get a little over $100,000 a year um, as part of this fellowship. And the money is, you know, they say very clearly that it is no strings attached. So that is money that I get. I'm going to have to pay taxes on it. Um, And it is money that I can use in whatever way I see fit to further my creative work. So um, if furthering my creative work was helped by paying for my kid's college, I could do that. If it was, you know, going to Vegas and putting it all on red, I could do that. Um, I don't plan to do that. But the money is certainly a very exciting opportunity because, you know, all of the work that I have done before coming to Amazon was grant-based work. It was all research that was funded through uh, grants and writing grants and asking for money to do accessibility research and development is very time-consuming. It's a lot of work. It's exhausting. And not particularly fun. It's not particularly fun. And, you know, for every grant that you're successful with, um, you write you know, quite a few that you aren't successful with. And it takes up a lot of time, as you noted. It is an exhausting and very time-consuming process um, and very discouraging sometimes. So this means uh, that, you know, the, the money that the MacArthur Foundation has given me or will be giving me means that I can um, pursue a number of projects around accessibility that uh, aren't necessarily part of what Amazon want, you know, not a priority for Amazon, not a priority for the federal government. They can be, you know, it's basically, if it's a priority for me, I can spend money on it. And that is extremely exciting. So, um, so this is a real opportunity for me to find things that I think need doing and do them. Well, you're a creative guy with lots of innovative ideas. This is has to open up a lot of doors and opportunities once you give some thought to how you want to direct those energies of yours. 
Yeah. And some of what I plan to do is really just, um, you know, in uh, restoring and supporting some of the things that I've done in the past that are in need of assistance. So, for example, you know, I was part of a team a number of years ago that created a wayfinding app called Over There. And Over There was a really simple little app that you could just point your phone in different directions and it would use GPS and the orientation of the phone to tell you what was in that direction. And it, it, it used a very um, a unique audio interface and a gestural system that um, made it really, really easy to use. You could drop your own points of interest in so that you could mark places that you wanted to be able to find again. And then just by sort of, you know, rotating your phone around, you could hear all of the stores or points of interest that were nearby, you know, within line of sight. And it broke. It just stopped working a couple of years ago because um, Google changed its API and the engineer that I was working with was no longer available for the project and the, the source code got, you know, lost. And so uh, reviving something like over there is really something that, that could be, you know, now that's a possibility. That's if I can find the right engineer uh, to reinstantiate over there, that's the kind of thing that I might do. But there are also new things that I'd like to do. And some of them are about accessibility and some of them are just creative, cool things that I think would be fun. So what other ideas might be germinating in your head about how you might be using the prize money in the future? One thing that I, uh, you know, I don't think we've talked about before is um, I'm also a musician. I'm a bass player and I've learned Braille music about four times, you know, once, once when I was a little kid, then, uh, you know, several other times it's like, oh man, Braille music is a real challenge. It's very difficult. I learned it as a kid and never used it. Yeah. And so I've always wanted to like learn jazz standards, but I never had the patience really to um, sit down and, and memorize them. And um, by the way, BANA, you know, the Braille Authority of North America doesn't have a very robust system for what we call chord charts. Braille music is really cool, but it's designed for scores. It's designed for classical music and fingering and uh, octave notation and, you know, and melodies. Um, whereas jazz chord charts, it's just, you know, you play this chord for, you know, for a measure, you play that chord for, uh, you know, half a measure, you play these, you know, this chord for a quarter you know, a quarter measure and this other chord for a quarter measure. And so it's really just chord names, um, you know, C7 flat nine, et cetera. And the Braille Authority of North America doesn't have a nice way of representing that kind of stuff. So my buddy and I, my buddy Roberto Gonzalez, who you may know, um, we basically developed a system of Braille chord chart writing that can be translated from music XML. So basically, we found uh, by exporting XML uh, chord charts from iReal Pro, we can turn them into beautifully formatted Braille chord charts using this new system that we've developed. It's really succinct and elegant and, and easy to read, easy to learn. So one of the things that I want to do is publish a couple of volumes of of jazz in Braille for folks that want these chord charts um, using this Braille system that 
you know, that we developed. And maybe, you know, maybe that Braille system can become part of a new standard. So music is, you know, Braille music is one of the things, you know, Braille chord charts, this uh, what we call jam Braille is uh, is one of the things that, you know, that I might be able to do with this kind of, you know, this kind of flexibility. Great. Well, we will look for that and the fruits of any of your other creative ideas that might come along with or without the uh, help of the MacArthur Award. And we congratulate you once again on winning that terrific honor. I really appreciate it. It's such a pleasure to talk to you again. You are listening to Eyes on Success. Success, 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 success. Now for this week's final item, how you can learn more about accessibility projects Josh has been involved in both at Smith Kettlewell Institute and at Amazon and how to contact him directly. Josh, if people would like to connect with you or ask you questions, how would they do that? You know, the best way to find me is on Twitter. I'm at Berkeley Blink. That's B-E-R-K-E-L-E-Y-B-L-I-N-K. You know, I'll I'll answer DMs on there and, you know, of course, uh, follow what's going on on, uh, you know, with with other folks. So so that's really the best way for people to reach out to me. If we need to have a more detailed conversation, then we can, you know, we can always take it to email or something. But that's the best first step. Could you give contact information for your current group at Amazon that's doing such exciting work in Access Tech? Sure. I mean, the best way to find out what's going on at Amazon is going is by going to amazon.com slash accessibility. Not only does that website have all the information about our current accessibility offerings and um, any information about uh, upcoming events or anything that you might want to know about, but it also has ways to get in touch with us. So that's amazon.com slash accessibility. And for any of your prior projects, people can find that by going to Smith Kettlewell's website? Yeah, the Smith Kettlewell website still has lots of information about the, you know, you describe and everything. So you can go to www.ski.org. So that's the Smith Kettlewell Institute. And of course, you can go to youdescribe.org to find out more about Udescribe or to view YouTube videos with audio description. And we will have links in the show notes associated with this episode to interviews we did with you about Udescribe and Arduino, etc. So people should look for that. And as usual, those show notes can be found at www.eyesonsuccess.net for every show we've done. And now that we're starting our 12th year, there are well over 500 episodes in our archives, and they're all on our website. You can either look for them manually year by year, or if you want to do it a little bit more efficiently, you can use the search feature on our website. Just put in a keyword or a topic or a show number and you'll get results pointing to the show notes, the audio for the show, and a summary of each of the shows matching your search criterion. So try it out, and we hope that you find that useful. That's it for show number 2201. Next week on Eyes on Success, we'll be giving another update on Camp Abilities. Camp Abilities is not just for fun. 
It is a week-long sports camp for children with visual impairments. We'll speak with Lauren Lieberman, the camp's founder and director, about the program and the benefits it provides, not just to the blind youth who might otherwise have missed out on such opportunities to participate in activities with their peers, but also the benefits to the counselors and to the field of sports education for the visually impaired. And we hope you all continue to enjoy Eyes on Success as we start our 12th year and join us next week for that episode. You've been listening to Eyes on Success, hosted and produced by Nancy Goodman Torpy and Peter Torpy. You can access the full archive of previous shows, subscribe to the podcast, and much more by going to our website, www.eyesonsuccess.net. If you have questions about anything you've heard on the show or have suggestions for future shows, send an email to hosts at eyesonsuccess.net. Thank you for listening and have a nice day.